Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, a cold, uh, not so cold, but certainly a wet New Orleans night. And uh, for those of you who are watching live stream, uh, all the people of courage are here tonight. So I'm grateful for a, a great turnout here. Surprise, but happy, happy to have you all here. Welcome to week five. After tonight, we're halfway through the course. Uh, if you've got perfect attendance, keep it going. Uh, because again, commencement is just for you, week 10, and some incredible ceremonial awards for you. Um, I think uh, someone, I think the valedictorian gets a, gets a pet goat. So if any of you have been looking for that, we'll be having that for you. Hey, also, I want you to know that we have CDs available for you guys that are here, over here, all the weeks, the previous weeks will be over there. And uh, tonight's talk will be there as well. Uh, or, again, you can just go to the Lakeview Christian Center website, just Lakeview Christian Center slash alpha, or go to the Lakeview Christian Center YouTube page to watch any of those videos or share them with someone. I hear that some of you are sharing uh, the videos with folks, so appreciate you doing that. Appreciate you being here tonight. Tonight, we are jumping past uh, session five, how and why do I pray, to go to session six, uh, why and how should I read the Bible. We're doing, the reason we're, we're doing that, I just is that, you know, it, the Bible informs the way we pray. And so we thought just, actually Alpha kind of flipped it. Uh, it used to be the other way around, but we felt like it was good to stick with this so we could just dive more into the Bible, get a better sense of the Bible. That's what we're going to do tonight. So, but many years ago, if you'd have asked me about, uh, about the Bible, I, you'd have just got a deer in the headlights look. Didn't know what a Bible was till I was 19 years of age and somebody stuck a Bible in my hand on the corner of Dalrymple and Highland, uh, just across from my fraternity house. And, uh, but the fact of the matter was I didn't, I didn't need a Bible because in my meology, I, I was my Bible. And that's really all I needed. But an understanding and an importance of the God of the Bible means it kind of helps to have a knowledge of the Bible that speaks of him. And I had to... Uh, I've had some really interesting thoughts through the years of the Bible, and, uh, and nothing about the Bible made sense to me then, but it certainly does now, and I certainly don't have a full understanding of it, but I'm grateful for what I know. But before Jesus and my coming to know him personally, if you'd have tested me on the Bible, I would have, I would have failed miserably. But I thought tonight, if I'd have failed miserably, you know, miser misery loves company. So I thought I would give you a Bible quiz. Wouldn't that be fun? So tonight we're going to do a little Bible quiz, Frank's remedial Bible quiz tonight. And um, we'll start with an easy one, okay? What is Jesus Christ's middle initial? Exactly. Jesus H. Christ. So if, if you know, so... So, you know, if, if my parents were angry with me, it was Jesus Christ. If they were really angry with me, it was Jesus H. Christ. Now, I've never have learned what the H stood for, but it's... So anyway, did anybody, you got that one right, Sherry. Okay, so give yourself a point. Okay, second question. In what Bible book is God addressed as the man upstairs? <laughs> But don't you hear all the time? Yeah, the man upstairs taking good care of me. Okay. Question three. What book reveals the location of the stairway to heaven? 
I mean, the gospel according to Led Zeppelin. We all know that. Um, yeah, so here we go. Um, what book reveals the location of the highway to hell? That's right, the gospel according to ACDC. Some people know it. Okay, okay here's a true-false. I like the true-falses because I have about a 50% chance. Um, is Noah's wife's name Joan of Arc? I, I, I would have said true, but I would have been wrong. Okay, let's... Few more here. Anybody got any right so far, other than Sherry got the middle initial of Jesus? Okay. Uh, what name the four gospels? Okay, so this is uh, Saint Saint John, um, Saint Paul, um, Saint George, and Saint Ringo. Those would have been the four gospels, as far as I was aware of them. Um, okay. Next question. Write down three Bible verses. That you know. Okay, so here's kind of a test. For, that was a test for me, so I wrote down the three I knew. One was cleanliness is next to godliness, right? That was the gospel according to my mother. Um, the other one, um, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That was the gospel according to my dad. Um, and then this was the one I knew. I knew I had. If I got anything right, I knew this one was correct. This Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. How many times have you heard that? And some people would swear, bet, that's in the Bible. But the Bible actually says the exact opposite of that, that God helps those who realize they, he does more than help those who realize they cannot help themselves. Okay, why should you read the Bible? I, 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 I had no idea. Blank, just next question. Um, is Christianity based on the Bible? I would have figured, well, yeah, it must be. But is Christianity based only on the Bible? That seemed a little narrow. So, I mean, just not really sure if that would be the case. But, you know, like all good teachers, you get a bonus question. Bonus questions are so helpful. Because they're typically a little easier. At least they were for me. Um, so here's the bonus question number 11. What is the scripture that puts the most fear of God in you? And I thought about this one for a minute and I thought, got it. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good so you'll not bake. So... Uh, so anyway, um, that's my remedial Bible quiz. But so why don't we know that the Bible says just the opposite of God helps those who help themselves? I'll take us back to our comparative religion model here. You know, this is God helps those who attempt to help themselves. And whatever religious philosophy it may be, it's God. God's going to have to help you because you certainly, you're, nobody's perfect. All have sinned. None are right. None is righteous. But that is the exact opposite. The Bible says the wages of sin, and we've all sinned, is death, separation from God. So we're all born, as we talked about last week, separated from God. And we need, if what, what the Bible tells us in Christianity is that we need a God who does for us, who helps us because we can't help ourselves, who gives us life because we don't have life within ourselves. And this is why it's so important to read the Bible, to know what the Bible says versus what I think 
the Bible says. I've just assumed what the Bible says because typically I haven't thought. Typically I've just, I've just assumed. So which is true? God helps those who help themselves? Or the wages of sin is death, but God offers a free gift of eternal life if we will realize our need and his love and his desire. So every one of us is unqualified to help ourselves. So as I said, when it came to the Bible, because I hadn't read it, uh, though I did have my own concept of God as a, of course, committed meologist, I assumed things about the Bible and I thought stereotypically. And because we, because we don't know what the Bible says, we make assumptions. We build our own form of what we would even call Christianity. Here's some, quest- here's, here's some thoughts about reading the Bible or not reading the Bible. Um, you know, you really can't understand the Bible. There's no reason to read it because it's just too hard. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different interpretations. Who's to know what the right one is? Uh, another would be, you know, the Bible's full of errors. You, can't, you just can't believe all that stuff, all those stories. And, and it's just full of errors, really. Is that true? Or is that just kind of a, a force field that I put around myself to keep anybody from getting too close by just kind of throwing these things out? Um, I, the Bible's all bad news anyway. Um, I, I got enough guilt working already without the Bible piling on even more. I want to stay as far away from that as possible. True, I mean, I could, I could relate to every one of those in one form or fashion. But my personal favorite, um, the one that really gets me excited, we're not supposed to read it. Somebody else is supposed to read it to us. Somebody else is supposed to interpret it for us because we really, you know, we haven't been schooled in how to read the Bible. Well, um, where do we get that idea? I can tell you where we didn't get it. We certainly didn't get it from the Bible. But if you don't know what's in the Bible, guess what you won't know? We're encouraged to read it. The Bible re- writers encourage us to read the Bible. Why write it if it's not supposed to be read? It's just the opposite. Let me just give you, I can give you a multitude of scriptures. Let me just give you this scripture, Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. But these things are written, John writes, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so you know what I have this week again for you, my cups. Okay, so these things are written to you so that you may no longer not believe, so that you may no longer not be an Adam. Because believing is a big deal, as we talked about last week. We're going to talk about that a lot more this week. They're written. They're written so that you may believe. Well, how will you know unless you read what is written, what it takes to believe? You won't. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God come to take away not just the sins of the world, but come to take away, most importantly, your sins. And my sins, and that believing you may have life in his name, be taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, life in his name. That is what is so important. That's why it's written, so that you and I can read it and understand. And God is the one that gives that understanding. So why read the Bible? We're on the top of page 34 
You know, I, I'm just, I can't help but wonder how many of you would say that you've read the Bible more in the last four Tuesdays than you have the last four years, 14 years, <laughs> or 40 years even. And, and I, I can't tell you how I'm sorry I am to hear that, but how excited I am to hear that at the same time. Uh, because you're seeing the, the, the Bible is written in what is called, the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek. It's the common language. It was the common language of the people of that time so that any and all could grasp it, could read it, could inquire of God as to what it meant, inquire of others and read and study together with others. The Bible is the written revelation of God's mind and his heart. He wants us to read his story because his story, think about this, God's story includes our story. God's story includes us. We're written into the pages of the Bible. He tells us the story of creation. He tells us of his interaction with man. We see his wisdom. We see his love. We see his mercy. We see his care. We also see his anger against all of us who have rebelled against him because of our disobedience that we received and we inherited from our, our progenitors, our Original moms and mom and dad, Adam and Eve. Uh, and we see the fulfillment of his righteous justice when he sends his son to be the payment for all of our rebellion against him. And so this is, these are the things that, if are true, are the most essential, important things that you and I will read so on the top of page 34 that we see here that the Bible is a most popular book. Actually, it's the most popular book in all of history. If you take the top 23 authors of all time, and here they are, they have sold completely, in total, all of their copies combined have sold with the Bible, uh, Bible's number of Bibles sold in 10 years. So if you just took the Bible, the Bible had a three and a half billion sold total just in over five billion Bibles sold in the 1990s. This is 3.5 billion, I'm sorry, of these 23 authors, over five billion sold in the 1990s. And that didn't include copies that were given away. And now today we've got uh, this, this cell phone thing here. And how many Bible apps do you have on your phone? So... The, the numbers are just, the Bible continues to be year after year after year, the runaway bestseller. The New York Times will not put the Bible on its bestseller list uh, because it would, there'd never be a book that's number one except the Bible. And the last time I heard, the New York Times was not interested in at least Christianity. So, so we see this here. The Bible is clearly popular. You know, it's powerful as well in its, in its uh, presentation. It impacted some powerful men. Here's what George Washington had to say. He said, it's impossible. Now think about it. This is George Washington. You know him. This is the guy that first president of the United States. It's a trick question for some people, but this is first president of the United States, George Washington. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. I, I'm sorry, but I can't help but editorialize here for just a moment. In the world in a great place today. Okay. Now, you think about this for a minute. Is, is it a coincidence that the more we remove ourselves from God in the Bible, the, the more we move toward, the more we move away from God in the Bible, the more we move toward hatred and division. It's, it's fascinating. 
It just seems to compound each year. Um, Interesting. Uh, Another name you may recognize, Abraham Lincoln. He said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Fascinating. Doesn't make it true, but it's fascinating that George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, impacted these men in times of great stress. Would you not agree that Washington was probably a president in a very difficult time? Lincoln, kind of a difficult time, maybe, sort of. Uh, And here's another one, Reagan, you know, in the midst of that, in the height of the Cold War. This is what he said, within the covers of the Bible are all the answers for all the problems men face. Oh, that that were true. The Bible teaches that it is true. I certainly believe that it is true as well. Okay. And so we see here some powerful men relied greatly upon their leadership and basing their leadership from the Bible. They may not have always, always been right, but that was their intention. They knew that they could not do this without supernatural influence and help. So its preservation is amazing as well. Historically, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to, I would say it's encouraging to those who are, uh, who are in Adam and even those who are in Christ. It's interesting because of the amount of information and evidence that there is. We talked a little bit about this in, in the second uh, week when we talked about textual criticism. You may remember that. We talked about the number of copies, how the copies are consistent with the numbers of copies, and then how close they are to the original, the, the time span between the original autograph and the, and the uh, manuscripts. So we, we saw that the Bible is far and away the best in terms of preserved and numbers of copies of the, um, of the works of antiquity. Um, an archaeologist by the name of Nelson Gluck, he was the president of Hebrew Union College. This is what this is what Gluck said. He said, it may be stated, Gluck would walk around with a, with a Bible in his back pocket, honestly, to look and to direct where his team of archaeologists and assistants would, would dig. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact Detail, historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of the biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. They form the tesserae, the little tiles, if you will, in the vast mosaic of the Bible's almost incredibly historic memory. So here we see, considered one of the world's foremost archaeologists, and these are the comments that he's making about the Bible. And so many people thought that as, as archaeology became more and more advanced, it would eventually do away with the fantasy that's written in the Bible, primarily in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. Well, guess what happened? An inconvenient truth. The more, they, more archaeological digs that were done, the more they realized that those digs were in line with the scripture, that the scriptures corroborated what they found and they corroborated the scriptures. There's actually a a publication that comes out typically six times a year. It's down to four times a year right now. So, but it's called Biblical Archaeology Review. 
And this magazine is for the sole purpose of revealing the studies that have been, rather the discoveries that have been out there. So biblical archaeology since 1974 has just been bringing into periodical form and, uh, and reporting on the, the many biblical discoveries that there are. And I just, just in the last three weeks, um, uh, well, I'm not going to the details of that, but several more fascinating biblical archaeological discoveries. So, um, so the Bible has been preserved well. Uh, another thing that I think is fascinating is when you look at the Hebrew scriptures, now, you know, Christianity's basis is in Judaism. So when you, Jesus is the, the Jewish lamb of God who is, you know, takes away the sin of the world. That's how John the Baptist announces him. And so Christianity is essentially Jewish and in, the, in the, the Jewish scriptures, we see so many prophets that foretell, a prophet, someone who's foretelling of the future, and the prophets are speaking of a Messiah that is to come who is going to deliver the people from their captivity. We know that Jesus came to deliver the people, us from more than ca from any governmental captivity, but from the captivity of our sins, from, from uh, if you will, the captivity of being in the worst place we can be, and that is being in Adam, he come, came to deliver us from here to into himself. And so there's over 330 prophecies. If you read the Hebrew scriptures, okay, hundreds and over a thousand years before Christ, if you read the Hebrew scriptures or what we call, we Gentiles call the Old Testament, uh, there are over 330 prophecies that speak of this one who is coming. And the fascinating thing is that Jesus fulfills every one of those. Well, let me just share this with you. This is fascinating from Peter Stoner's book called Science Speaks. He says, if you just, he's talking on the science of probability. He said, if you just take of the 330, you take four, 48 of those. One person fulfilling 48 of those prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. Okay, do you got that? So those of you who are mathematical may appreciate this. That's 10 with 156 zeros after that. I mean, that makes our national debt look like we could pay it off tomorrow, okay? So 10 to the 156th power. Now, let's just say eight. One person to fulfill just eight of those prophecies. And let's just put those up here for you right now, okay? This is what is foretold in these, in these different books of a Messiah that is coming, that we believe and know is Jesus. In the prophet Micah and Isaiah and Daniel, Zechariah, David, the Psalms, Isaiah, again, the Psalms, place of birth, type of birth, time of appearance, Jerusalem entrance, his betrayal, the type of death he would suffer, his burial, and his resurrection. All these prophesied, okay? The chance of one person fulfilling just eight of the 330 is 10 to the 17th power, okay? It looks like that. Okay, that's 10 with 16 zeros after it. I don't know, I don't know what that is. I don't have any quintillion or something like that. Is there such a word? But that's a lot. Well, just to get, let me give you a picture of that. This, is, this has been, this is scientifically proven here. 10 to the 17th power is the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. That's 10 to the 17th power. That seems pretty big. That's a lot. The chance of P 
picking one, let's just put you, say you put an X on one of those silver dollars and you just throw it in the middle of the state and you get a little Texas twister going and you blindfold someone and then say, go in there and find the silver dollar with the X on it. Okay. So the chance of someone going in blindfolded and picking a, a coin, pulling off the blindfold and it having an X on it is 10 to the 17th power. So just one person fulfilling just eight of the 330 plus prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. It's fascinating. Fascinating. So, so there's immense amount of evidence to support the, the historic, not religious, historic statements of the Bible. You don't have to get all religious when it comes to Christianity. You don't have to check your brain at the door. You ought not and are encouraged not to. We're going to get to that in just a second. But today, unfortunately, for so many people, the issue is not truth. The issue is how something makes me feel. And, and that is unfortunate. But the evidence is there, and I would encourage you. God has not asked any one of us to check our brain at the door. Just the opposite. But he has said, if you come to me in humble search, you will find me. The Bible tells us, you know, this is interesting, because the Bible tells us what we need to know. It may not tell us all we want to know, but the Bible tells you and me all we need to know. See, because I, in the, if I want to know all I want all I want to know, not need to know, I'm basically insisting that God meets me on my terms. Um, the president of the United States would not meet you on your terms. The governor of the state of Louisiana would not meet you on your terms. The mayor of the city of New Orleans would not meet you on her terms. But God, if he is there, who created all things, is all wise, all knowledgeable, all powerful, is going to meet me on my terms. The miracle of this is that he wants to meet me at all. And he desires to meet me at all. And the Bible says he absolutely wants to meet you all, us all. That's fantastic. So the Bible tells us what we need to know, not all there is to know. And even if he told me all there was to know, you know how much of it you and I would understand. I mean, this is like a, a kindergartner asking a PhD in calculus to explain Calculus to him. The kindergartner may get the answer, but they're not going to get the answer. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because there are difficult things about the Bible, but I love what Mark Twain, you know, Mark, you can count on Mark Twain for a pithy, you know, just strike you right there. This is what Twain had to say. He said, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's, it's the parts I do. And what a great statement. There are so many things that are crystal clear in the scripture. If you and I would humbly open it and read it, as we've been doing over these weeks, we'd be amazed how clear scripture is and how clear God's love and care for us is. So, okay, we've been doing uh, quizzes tonight. Let's just have one more little multiple choice test here um, because God wants us to humbly and thoughtfully search for him. In the Gospel of Matthew, 
Jesus is being tested by a, a Jewish lawyer in the law. And he says, a lawyer asked him, uh, Jesus, a question testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is what Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Don't, don't, don't jump out, don't shout out the answer here. With all your, I'm going to give you a couple of options. With all your sincerity, enthusiasm, just be enthusiastic. Wrong is wrong, but just be enthusiastic and just cover it over. Um, higher consciousness. Um, just, just your gut feelings. Love them with all your gut feelings. Or maybe mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, to the Jew, when you look at the Jewish, Jewish way of thinking, the heart composes everything about you. Okay? It, you know, we think, you know, you got to have heart. Oh, that just breaks my heart. Uh, we think that that's more emotional. The Jew looks at the heart as everything, just composing the totality of your, totality of your being, which would include your soul, which deals more with your emotions. But then also your answer is mind. Correct. Duh. Okay, so God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. And look at what he says after this, Jesus says. He says, this is the great and foremost command. Did you know that? I wouldn't have known that. God says the greatest command is loving me with everything you got. Your emotions, your mind, everything that makes you up. Because the more you love me, the more you'll experience how much I love you. And the more you'll have revealed to you just who I am and how much I do love you. And so that's the foremost command. And so God says, engage your brain. Now, Josh McDowell used to uh, say that people believe that Christians have two brains. One is lost and the other one is out looking for it. And so, but no, God encourages the pages of the Bible. Tell us, love me with your mind. In Isaiah, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. But when you reason with someone, you thinking, you bet you you are. And so this is a God who's given you and me a mind to think with, humbly think with. Being an Adam gives us the desire to think arrogantly. And I dare you, God. But we can also think humbly. And that is the only way that I will even be interested in knowing a relationship with Christ. See, in Adam, you and I can be interested in a bunch of questions, a bunch of intellectual questions. And I think intellectual questions are fun. I love the evidence that there is to support a rational faith position in Jesus. But your answers will never... If you get every answer you, to every question you ever had, you know what the change in your life will be? You'll have the answer to every question you ever had. But it won't change your heart. Because answers do not change your heart. Because even a mind changed without a heart change is an unchange. To love him with everything in us is what he's encouraging us to do.
All right. So again, why and how should we read the Bible? Well, God has spoken through revelation of himself. Just give you some quick Bible facts here. Uh, I want to do this kind of quickly because I, I just do. So the Bible is comprised of 66 books. There's 37 in the Old Testament, 29 in the New Testament. Okay, I'm, I, I don't have time to go into why 37 and 29. If your tables, y'all want to talk about that, maybe we can do that. Okay, there are 40 authors from various walks of life. It was uh, written across a time span of 15 to 1800 years. Consists of narrative history, war stories, drama, exposition, letters, prophecies, sermon, and wisdom literature. And then it's written on three continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And if you just sort of break down the books of the Bible, we've got those for you tonight, but don't get lost in those just now, please. But you can just break down and see these are the books of the, the Old Testament here or the, the Hebrew scriptures. The New Testament here, the first five books are what's called the Torah or the book of the law, the Pentateuch, Penta 5. Okay, you'll get Jewish history and the law of Moses that was handed down, all the hundreds of laws there. You'll find the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. And then you'll have historical books. You know, Joshua all the way through Esther. Uh, Esther. Um, these all speak of the history of, of Israel. Then what are called the poet, poetic books or Job and Psalms and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, Song of so- Songs is a, or Song of Solomon. Then you've got the major prophets, five of those. The minor prophets, this, they're major just because they're bigger books. It doesn't mean these are the, this is the major league. This is triple A ball here. That's not what we're saying. This is, they're just, they're just smaller books. Okay, so that makes up the, those. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, obviously the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the life of Christ. Acts is the, the history of the first church, right? You learn how the church is formed there and how the church spreads out, Paul's, Peter's, missionary journeys. And then these are Paul's epistles, okay? Paul wrote the most of any uh, apostle, and these are all written to the church, okay? So when, we, when you look at the epistles, whether it's Paul's writings or general epistles written by James or Peter uh, or Jude uh, or the writer to the Hebrews who were not quite sure who wrote that, these are all written to those who are in Christ. So those, those books will sound like they're speaking to those who've gotten in the wheelbarrow, who've received the gift, who have said, I do. And, and then, of course, there's the book of Revelation, which uh, is obviously the prophecy and the telling of the end of the age. Right? So that just gives you a little bit of an oversight of how the Bible is, is, is put together. So the Bible, what it does, it reveals in writing what, what you and I know internally is true. Something that there's something bigger than I. There's someone bigger than I. And I can, uh, seeing on the outside, you know, I can see something on the outside and, and I, things that overwhelm me. Like you can, I, I, was at a, I was at a men's retreat this weekend and lightning struck about 80 feet from where I was and Lloyd was with, not exactly in the same place with me. At that moment, I wished he were with me because I'd have been hugging him <laughs> strongly. Um, um, but I mean, there was a sensation there physically that brought about an internal sensation. I mean, you see something of what God does. You look at creation, something, you see it with your eyes, but something takes place inside of you. This is, this is what it's like to, to read the scriptures and to see God. It's amazing how reading about him makes us desire, makes, 
So many desire so much more of him. So, so why should I read it? Well, if it's true, like I said, it holds all the answers to all the questions, like Ronald Reagan said, that we have. But unless you and I know what it says, we won't know how important it is. That, now, does that make sense? How could that make any more sense or be any more, more simple? If it's that important, would it not make sense that I would dive in to read it for myself? This is what, this is what um, Paul wrote to the, early, to, the, uh, to the young pastor Timothy. And this is what he said. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Okay? It's good for you. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. It's good for your mind. Okay, it's not talking about your wallet. I mean, that could happen, but that's secondary at best. It's profitable for teaching, for, for you and me to be taught, for you and me to be uh, reproved. Okay, you know, I don't like being reproved, but it's necessary for correction to be corrected and to be trained in what? Now, Paul's right. Uh, pardon me. Paul, yeah, Paul is writing this to Timothy. So he's saying the word of God helps me grow in the knowledge of God and grow in my own spiritual strength and maturity for training in righteousness. See, when I'm placed into Christ, who is righteous? Yeah, he is righteous. When I'm placed into him, the Bible says, the scripture we used last week is, I, we become the righteousness of God in him. So in Christ, God now looks at you and me, if we are in Christ, as righteous. If we're in Adam, he looks at you and me as unrighteous because the only way you and I could be righteous if what the scripture says is true is to be in Christ and we talked last week about well how do I get into Christ that sounds like a good deal if that's if that's true so so this is what he tells us God inspired scripture to teach us to correct us to train us so that we could know him and not just empty rules we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute the bible's purpose is to direct us to god okay and sometimes i mean i guess annette and i are a little bit different i don't mind stopping and asking for directions not so much uh but uh but it's it's kind of true that way we don't like there's something in me something that says i don't need to stop and ask for directions of course now we have the phones right that that tell us exactly where we're supposed to go. Sometimes you ever use your GPS and you're in the middle of a prairie somewhere and it's supposed to be downtown Boise or something like that. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, but what if you're driving on the highway to hell? You do want to know how to get off of the highway to hell. So the Bible is about teaching and reproving us, but it's love motivated. It's about training and correcting us. It's love-motivated. It's not the picture of religion that, that I held sincerely by faith, but wrongly. I mean, in my religious perspective, God was kind of waiting for me to screw up. Just the moment you screw up. I was like, he says, please, just screw up. Just a little bit. You know, like, just God's having a bad day. It, and, uh, no. Here's the question. Love motivated? The Bible is love motivated? Can I just scream to you? Yes, yes, yes. It teaches me that Jesus bore 
the anger and wrath of God for me. From Genesis to Revelation, that is the picture. Before Christ comes, we see this picture. We see Christ, the Lamb of God, given. And we see the joy of knowing him and walking out our faith with others. The Bible is our instruction manual for life. I mean, you and I can't even put a bike together without instructions. How do you and I think we put life together without instructions? Bikes may be complicated to put together, but those are nothing compared to the challenges of life. And like Reagan says, in the covers of this book are all the answers for all the problems that men face. The Bible teaches that you and I have a need. We have a need for God. And without him, the parts, the life, won't come together. They just won't. So here really is the, here really is the question. If, if you're going to hear anything I'm saying tonight, consider this. Hear this. The issue is need. And it's what the Bible tells me I have. It's what the Bible tells us we all have. But if I don't sense that need, as I said earlier, this is, this is just information. And, and I'm grateful that you're here for, if it's just information. That's wonderful. But until I realize that there's a need that nothing on this world has, has been able to fulfill, there's a scratch that nothing on this world has been able to itch, or itch that nothing's been able to scratch, I, it, this is just good information. But I want to take us just back. I want to take us back to Niagara Falls. Can we just go back to Niagara tonight? Some of you didn't get to go to Niagara with us. Perez, we're going to take you to Niagara Falls with us tonight. So you remember I took you to Niagara Falls. We talked about being curious, convinced, or committed, right? Now, just take you back for a second here. Blondin has done amazing things over the Niagara Rapids. He says, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side to the other. And I think uh, Danielle refused at least twice when I asked her to go. But, um, but let's say, as, I, as, as Blondin did, he did amazing things going back and forth, even took his... His, um, his manager, put his manager, there's pictures of this, his manager on his back. He took a wheelbarrow, put it, took it from one side to the falls to the other. And I asked the question to Danielle, said, will you get in? Do you believe I can do it? And she said, well, no, I'm not so sure. But if you say, yes, I believe, then I, would, then I said, get in. But why should you get in if there's no reason to get in except a publicity stunt? Because you know what's going to happen the moment you get in, don't you? What's everybody going to be doing? I mean, they're going to be, oh, please go in. Please, please, please go in. You know, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, if it's just a publicity stunt, somebody else get in, for heaven's sake. But let's just say for a moment you're in the wheelbarrow. Pardon me. You're, you're in the crowd. And uh, all of you guys are in the crowd. And, and on the other side of you, there's no wall there. It's just a bunch of forests. It's just wooded forests everywhere. All of a sudden... Um, the forest catches on fire. Niagara's behind me. And the fire is getting closer and closer and closer. And there's no, there's no egress. There's no way to get out. Uh, Sherry, I can take a person, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side of the falls to the other. Now, at that moment, Sherry can say, 
maybe I can just make it through the, through the fire. Or maybe I can make it on the tightrope myself. Or maybe I can jump in and survive. Of course, nobody's ever survived the Niagara Rapids. Or she can look at Blondin, who's already proven he could take someone from one side of the falls to another. And she could humble herself and say, uh, I believe. See, you believe when you do what? You believe when you get in. But you only get in when you realize the fire is coming in on you and you have no means of escape other than someone else getting you out. Not you getting you out. See, in religion, you get yourself out. Blondin says, if you'll let me use that term for a minute, Blondin says you can't get yourself out. But I've already gone from one side to the next and I can get you out. Would you like me to? See, that's the picture there. When I realize nothing in this world has worked, I realize now, Jesus, that you've done for me what I couldn't do for myself. See, so maybe you're curious. Maybe we're curious when we go to Niagara and we watch all this. Oh, this is fascinating. Or maybe, again, you're curious as you're coming to this. And again, thank you for being here curious, really. This is not... This is not between me and you. This is really, if God is in all this stuff, this is between God and you. It's none of my business. Or maybe you're convinced. Again, you've known about Jesus your whole life, grew up going to church and all that, but you never heard anything like this. If you were to look at your life, it was more you trying to reach God on your terms by you're going to church, saying your prayers, doing good stuff and all, all those things, giving money in the offering basket, whatever you think it is. Or maybe, again, maybe... You realize you are, you are convinced, but you want to be committed. Or maybe you are here committed. And what does that mean? Committed means I am surrendering 100% of my being into the care of another. What is Blondin looking for you to do when you get in the wheelbarrow? Take over in a few minutes? He's getting a little tired. He's going to get in the wheelbarrow? No, he's, he's looking for you to be still He's looking for you to trust. Um, let's just say for a moment, say for a moment you got on an airplane. Okay, you go up the gangway, and um, when you get on the airplane, does the pilot, does the stewardess ever escort you to the pilot seat? No, I, I mean hopefully that's never happened unless you are a fly, unless you are a pilot. But um, imagine for a moment. Uh, you go up the gangway of the plane that you're getting on, and Jesus, you've gotten on Jesus' plane. And you, uh, and you up, you see Jesus there, he sees you there, and he says, oh, BJ, it's so great to see you. He gives you a hug, and then he grabs you by the nap of the neck, and he throws you into the pilot seat. And he says, we're about to take off, and you're going to fly this thing, and you better not screw up. Is that the commitment we're looking for? I certainly hope not. But that's what we think. Get on Jesus' plane, and he's going to make you try to fly it. And you know what's going to happen. You're going to crash miserably. That's not the commitment we're talking about. Just double your efforts. Pull yourself up. You can do this. Now you know about the Bible. Read the Bible. Be a good girl. Be a good boy. That is absolutely the 100% contrary, 180 degrees contrary to what the scripture means by committed. So you're going up the gangway. 
And Jesus meets you at the gangway. And he hugs you and he says, I'm so glad you received me. And instead of taking you to the pilot seat, he turns and he takes you into first class and he sits you there and he buckles you up and he says, um, Terry, <clears throat> along the way, there's going to be a lot of air pockets. There's going to be a lot of turbulence as we, as we get to our destination. You're going to be tempted to come out of the seat, come through the door, the cabin door, and throw me out of the pilot seat, and you're going to want to take over because you don't like what I'm taking you through. Don't do that. Trust me to get you from one side to the other. See, commitment is being committed to someone else's commitment. Commitment is trusting in someone else's accomplishment. That's a biblical definition of commitment. It has everything to do with our resting and trusting and believing. It's so important for you and me to see this. Because God cannot help those who think futilely they can help themselves. It's just not possible. So there is this relinquishing of control. You know, the, the problematic issue of getting in the wheelbarrow twofold, and I am and threefold as I'm running out of time greatly. I cease, here's what well, here's the problem. I cease insisting that God accept me based on my performance. That's what I have to do to get in the wheelbarrow, to get on board the plane, to say I do, to receive the gift. I have to cease insisting that God accepts me based on my commitment, my performance. That's meology. That is not biblical Christianity. It is not, with all due respect, it is not Christianity. It is, if it's anything, it's a perversion of Christianity where you attach Jesus' name to it. Second, I no longer accept God based on his performance. Now, there's the hard part. From my perspective. I no longer accept God based on his performance. Because I don't know what he's doing. I don't always know what he's doing. Some things make absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. But he is God. He is God. And I am not even close. I'm not even in the same ballpark. I'm in the same universe, basically. So I have to relinquish control of my life to the one who said he loves me and died to prove it. Okay, page 35, God speaks relationship. Um, the Bible, it's God's love letter, and it's there to reveal the truth about his character and thereby draw us to him. Here's what Paul wrote to, to Timothy as well. He said that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings, which are, now, now, catch this, which are able to give you wisdom that lead to salvation through faith, by saying I do, getting the wheelbarrow, receiving the gift, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, here we go again. Which, by faith which is where? It's, it's not faith in Adam, it's faith that's it's to be found in Christ. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which those writings, knowing those writings, reading those writings, God giving you wisdom to understand those writings, that's the wisdom that leads you to get out of Adam and into Christ through faith, which is in Christ 
Jesus, the Bible is to draw us into relationship with him, for us to see our need, that our need's bigger than we are. Mm. So this is why Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me. So when I'm coming to the scripture, he doesn't want me just to come to a book of ink and pages. When I come to the Bible, there's only one reason to come to the Bible, and that's to find him. That's to know him. That's to experience him. So when I'm coming to the Bible, I'm, I'm coming, it's a way of coming to him. All you, you're weary? You're weary of trying to help yourself? Burdened? I'll give you rest. Take your yoke upon, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle, humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is, oops, my yoke is light. Okay, real quickly. See, he doesn't say, come to me and I'll give you rules. Aren't you glad he didn't say, I'll come to you and give you, come to me, I'll give you rules. He said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Okay, God, nobody wants a relationship that's just based on rules. If you don't, certainly God doesn't, uh, even if the rules are right. John wrote this, the thief comes only, okay, the thief, he's speaking of Satan here, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. Jesus is saying, I've come to give you something you cannot have fully without me. I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. The thief comes only to steal. He does that by dividing, by dividing relationships, people, nations, tribes. That's what he does. He does it 24-7, 365. The thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus says, but I've come. I have come to give you life, to give you meaning and purpose, abundant, full life. That's what he said. So, and what the Bible's telling us is that when we look at this, when you read the first chapter of Genesis, this is what God says. He says, let us make man in our own image. And so this is what we know. If God is relational, and he is, then what, is, what, what do we know is the highest part of our being? It's our ability to emote, to think, to be relational. The deepest part of who you and I are is relational. Let me just prove, let me just prove this to you for a moment. Um, I want you to go with me right now to, um, to a cemetery, to a funeral home. And there's a coffin just in front of you. And in that coffin is the lifeless body of the closest person in the world to you. Really. And it's hard. Maybe some of you have just recently lost a dear loved one. Ned and I have lost a couple of dear friends. I lost a fraternity brother a couple weeks ago. Um, but I'm not just talking about a fraternity brother. The person closest to you in the whole world, lifeless, lying in that coffin. What would you not give to have them back? What would you not give for them to spring out of that coffin? I know what you'd give. 
you give everything you had. Well, God has looked over a coffin that had you in it, that had me in it. And what did God give so that we could come out of that coffin and have life? We'd no longer be in Adam, but in Christ. No longer an enemy of his, but a friend of his. He gave everything. He gave a son. God stood over our lifeless beings and he gave his son to get us back. He directs us to himself through the Bible. A couple of scriptures real quickly because I am way out of time. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So guess what? The more I... I I come to him in the reading of his word. Guess what grows? Faith grows. Belief grows. Confidence in having gotten in the wheelbarrow said, I do receive the gift. Okay. And back to this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name. Hmm. I'm going to have to stop. Um, I did not get to the part, and maybe you guys can do this tonight. If you've got a manual there at home or wherever you're watching, uh, page 35 and 36. 36 just gives you some tips on how to read the Bible. And, and I, I, I hate that I've gone too long to not give you that time. But maybe we can sp- you can spend a little bit of time with that either tonight at your table. Or please, take those manuals and work with them over the course of, of the week. There's some really good information in that. Next week, we're going to be in session six. Uh, why and how do I pray? This is a really another good, good topic. Again, just an introduction. But I want to thank you all so much for being here. Appreciate you braving the weather. Thank you guys for watching via live stream or video. And uh, let's take a quick break for those of us who are here. Who are here, and we hope to see you all next week. Thank you so much.